You ready for the word of the Lord this morning? You're awake on this sleepy morning? This past November on the Sunday that we had the um, musical group Canaan's Voice with us, and you may remember what an inspiration they were, I knew that they would be taking a quite a portion of the service, and so I had prepared uh, a message that was a little shorter that morning, and I presented a message from Psalm 119 on the subject of affliction. And when you talk about a subject like affliction, you know people are going to be dancing down the aisles that day as they're leaving. And, uh, well, I don't know about dancing down the aisles that morning, but I do know that of all the messages I've tried to deliver in the last year, more people have talked to me about that message than, than any other. And so I was thinking about that, and um, on that particular morning, we looked from Psalm 19 at particularly the verse uh, 75, which says, in your faithfulness you have afflicted me. And I'm going to go back and touch on that theme again this morning for just a few minutes and to see if there's not something else that the Lord would, would say to us. And as we do, I want to ask you something this morning, church, Bethesda, is there anybody here today that would say, I need a word from the Lord? Who would say that's true? I need a, by, by show of hands, how many would say, I need a word from the Lord? It was back in 2008 that those of us who follow Christian music and Christian artists heard of the terrible tragedy that befell the family of well-known artist Stephen Curtis Chapman. He and his wife, Mary Beth, had three biological children when they adopted three gorgeous young Chinese uh, daughters. The youngest of those daughters was five-year-old Maria Sue, who saw her 17-year-old brother, Will, driving home. He was driving in the SUV. He was coming home for the day. Somehow, she ran into the path of that SUV he was driving as he pulled into the driveway. The report says that she was running quickly toward him because she so adored her brother. He was particularly known to be so great with those three young adopted daughters from China, and they loved him dearly, and she was so excited to see him coming home but he could not see her. The family all said that their son, Will, was, was uh, dis obviously incredibly distraught by what was taking place. He wasn't speeding. He wasn't doing anything incorrectly. She simply got in his blind spot, and he, he could not see her. So she was struck by the SUV and later died in a Nashville hospital. You and I can only imagine the chaos that that family felt and the shock of that moment when that took place. But those of us who know the story know that right in the midst of that horrific moment, something happened that is quite extraordinary. As Stephen Curtis Chapman was speaking some months later about the accident that had taken place in their own front yard, as they were frantically rushing little Maria Sue off to the hospital, Stephen Curtis said something to his son that he didn't even remember saying. In fact, he had to be reminded by his brother or told by his brother that he had even said this. Stephen's brother told him that when he got in the car, when Stephen Curtis got in the car and he had little Maria Sue in his arms and they were rushing off to the hospital, something in him at that moment, an instinct of some kind, caused him to roll down the window of the car and to look at his son Will, who had just run over his little sister. And Stephen Curtis said these words to his son. He said this. He said, Will Franklin, I just want you to remember this, that your dad loves you very much. 
with his little girl dying in his arms, something in him knows that his son is going to be facing this battle for the rest of his life. But this father had enough wherewithal to roll down down the window and say, just remember, no matter what happens, no matter what happens, you're my son and I love you very much. Now I ask you, where could that come from except God himself? Where else could that come from? Stephen Curtis Chapman said later, he said, on that day, my biggest concern was that I didn't want to lose two children. For he knew full well in that moment what the possibilities could be as the depth of grief for his son, his family, and himself, what there was going to be. And so therefore, he wanted somehow, whether he consciously knew he was saying it or his absolute just instinct for him, he wanted his son to have a word that would sustain him. How many of you want a word this morning that will sustain you? I quote him often, but it was A.W. Tozer, the great Christian Missionary Alliance writer, who said this, it is doubtful whether God can bless a man greatly until he has wounded him deeply. Let that sink in just for a second. It is doubtful whether God can bless a man greatly until he has wounded him deeply. And we certainly know this to be true. Life's issues, life's pains, and sometimes we can take two words and just a slight difference in the two words makes an enormous difference, but life's pains will either conform you to the image of Christ or they will deform you. But the choice is up to you. Haven't we all watched two different people go through the same or a very similar situation and observe how one becomes better and the other becomes bitter? And so what is the secret? What's the difference? What, what, what's the determining factor? What makes the difference? What is the protection between bitter and better when you are facing one of the most painful situations of your life? Where is that line that we would all like to know that puts you in the category of being an overcomer and not a succumber to the pain that can so easily live inside of us? Like Helen Keller, the famous lady who was both blind and deaf, said these words, Although the world is full of suffering, she said, it is also full of people who have overcome it with the help of God. I want to be an overcomer today. Who's with me in that today? Because church, this is true. Pain is inevitable, but overcoming it is optional on our part. I am always amazed by those people, and we have plenty of them around here, who no matter, it just seems like no matter what they go through, they are able to see God right in the midst of it. And we know that's not always easy. Don't you love being around people? who can say, you know, it could be the worst possible thing happening to any of us. But somehow they are able to see God right in the midst of it. They can see the positive in everything. I had no finer example of that in my own life than my dear mother-in-love, Jerry Lou Nicewanger. We call her mother-in-love. Des taught us that because it's love that binds us together in law, not law. Can I get an amen? She was... uh, Jerry Lou could see the, she could see the best in everybody. The rest of the family could be saying, Jerry, he is a dirty, rotten scoundrel. 
And she would say, oh, but he has such a big heart. We'd say, heart? The man doesn't have a heart. What do you mean, Jerry? She could see the best in everyone. And I would always come away amazed having been with her saying, Lord, I, I want to be more like that. I want to be able to see the absolute best in everyone, the best in everything. Let my eyes see the positive thing that's taking place. And it was particularly stunning if you knew her background. She had a horrific childhood, a wretched upbringing. She had the ability to see the best in everyone. She was very much like a little boy who wanted to be a baseball player. And he, wanted, he was going to have a positive attitude about it. He wanted it so bad that he put on his little uniform, he put on his Texas Ranger hat, he went outside, he threw the ball up in the air, he swung at it and missed it by a mile, missed it, and he said, I'm going to be the greatest hitter in the world. And so he picked the ball up again, he threw it up in the air, he took a swing at it, he missed it by a mile. He says, strike two, I'm going to be, I'm going to be the greatest hitter in the world. One more time, he picks up the ball throws up in the air, swings and misses. He says, strike three. I'm the greatest pitcher in the world. I struck him out. <laughs> Going to see the positive no matter what. There are just some people who are able to face painful, difficult, challenging situations, but they were able to see their way through to the positive. And it would behoove all of us, church, to remember in everything we go through, there is a message from God in it. You may think you're out there on your own. You may think this is just happening in everything we... Listen, God has His eye on you today, church. In everything you go through, there is a message from God in it. We've heard it said all kinds of cute ways. God can turn a mess into a message. He can turn a test into a testimony and a trial into a triumph. And so I want us to turn to Psalm 119 again this morning. I'm not going to read the whole psalm. You can thank me for that. We'd be here all day. Take your Bibles, turn to Psalm 119. Those of you who've read and studied the Psalms, you know that most of them were born out of pain. Most of them were born out of affliction. And the psalmist who's best known to us, David, was one of those who was going to find a message in that mess, testimony in that test, and a triumph in that trial. In our text this morning, David uses that word again that we previously discussed when we gave you that message last fall. He uses that word affliction. Say the word with me. In fact, if you read through the Psalms, you'll see that he uses it dozens and dozens of times throughout the Psalms to the point that I think it's worth us, it was for me this week, I think it's worth us digging a little deeper into the word that he uses to describe his pain. Now, we're not really sure which of his trials he's referencing in this psalm. We just know that he calls it his affliction. And here's what he says in the 67th verse of this of Psalm 119. He says, before I was afflicted, I went astray, but now I keep your word. Then let me go on to verse 71. And this one is almost, it's just almost hard to believe. He says, it is good for me that I was afflicted. When was the last time you said that? It is good for me that I was afflicted, that I may learn your statutes. In reading these verses, we've got to remember that 
We're hearing from a man who has gone through some of the most difficult moments, most difficult trials of his life. With all that had happened to David, there's one important message that we're getting from him here. In fact, I'm going to tell you this, he's defining the line for us today between bitter and better. In fact, he is defining the line for us between deformity and conformity to the image of Christ. And of all the affliction verses that we see in the Psalms, and yes, there are many, the one that stands out to me and that I really want to draw your attention to this morning is verse 92, where David says this, if your law, or the Word of God, had not been my delight, then I would have perished in my affliction. If your law had not been my delight, say that word delight, then I would have perished in my affliction. What David was saying was this, I needed another voice through the most painful situation of my life. In fact, I needed God's voice in the midst of my greatest trial. And he's telling us that the way that affliction is overcome is by making the Word of God our delight. In other words, he's saying, I need a word right in the midst of my pain. The same thing you and I are saying this morning. We need a word right in the midst of our pain. Now, I hope I'm talking to some people this morning who really aren't facing a trial or a test. I don't know how many of you there are in the room. I'm not going to ask for a show of hands. I hope that your biggest problem is that when it's time for you to board the plane, that you have to board with group four. I hope that's the biggest problem you're facing today. Or maybe your Wi-Fi connection is weak. That's the hardest thing, the hardest trial for you. But I have a feeling that there are plenty of people in the room who know what it is to face a trial, a test, or a mess. Anybody in the choir ever faced a trial, a test, or a mess? In one right now? Okay. So I'm talking to somebody. And I think most of us in this room need a word from God to keep us going. And I want to just say something about the power of the Word of God. It's not just a phrase we throw around in church on Sunday. I think we need to be reminded of the significance of the power and the magnitude of a Word from God. The significance of that which happens when God simply speaks a Word. Let me just put it to you this way. The stability of nature witnesses to the steadfastness of the Word which sustains it. The universe began and continues simply because God put forth His Word. The heavens with their pure depths would absolutely collapse and all their stars would flicker into darkness if that uttered Word did not echo through the overwhelming spaces. The solid earth that you and I are on at this moment would not be solid but for the power of God's Word which emanates in and through it. Therefore, can we just agree on a couple of things? We serve a great, big, wonderful God. Is anybody with me today on that? And could we agree that a word from God can make all the difference, not only in the heavens, not only in the universe around us, but in your life and mine? So I just want to look at a couple of words this morning before the choir is going to close the service. You want to be sure and stay for that. There's two words I want us to look at from our text this morning. The two main words, affliction and delight. 
affliction and delight. Because David says, I delight in your word. And he says, if I didn't, I would have perished in my affliction. Affliction and delight. So what is David saying when he uses this word affliction? And what do you and I really need to understand about our affliction? Because, church, listen to me. The worst thing that can happen to you or me, the worst thing that can happen to us is to go through something, go through a difficulty, go through a heartbreak, something really bad, and come out of it with nothing but an experience and a story to tell. That's the worst thing that can happen to us. You simply can rehearse the experience and you simply have a story to tell. But if I'm going to go through something and I'm a follower of Jesus, I had better come out more mature on the other side of that thing than I was when I went in. I didn't hear that amen. Because I don't just go through circumstances. That's not just what we do. We've all, most of us have admitted here this morning, we're walking through something, some difficulty. We don't just go through them. In the process of it, we are to draw closer to Jesus in the midst of those circumstances. That's what he's doing. He's wooing you. He's drawing you closer to him. Again, David said in verse 67, before I was afflicted, I went astray. But now, since the painful situation, I keep your word because I found out how important it is to have a word from God. Church, we not only need the saving power of the word of God, we need the keeping power of the word of God as well. And again, David went on to say in verse 71, It is good for me that I was afflicted, that I might learn your statutes. He's saying, he's saying that the word has taught him so many things. So what is affliction? The word literally means to force someone into submission. Affliction, to force somebody into submission. To force someone in a hold to where they have to obey the one who is doing the afflicting. So if you are going through a physical ailment, an affliction means it's going to choke you until you submit. Any, anything that you're, going, it's, that you're going through, its intention, its purpose, its desire is to choke, put you in a chokehold until you submit. Submit to what? Well, until you submit to being angry with God. Until you submit to atheism. Until you submit to the emotions that are welling up inside of you, be it discouragement, despair, suicidal thoughts, whatever it is, it can get you to submit to that. It is an affliction. It has you in a stranglehold. That's what the word affliction means, forcing you into submission. And it can take any form in our lives. It is looking to bring you to your knees. And that's what it means. But it goes further than that. It's bringing someone to a submission posture to get them to that place to where you literally say, I give up. Uncle, I'm crying, uncle, I give up. An affliction's purpose is trying to get you to that place of where you will give up. And David was saying, unless I delighted in your word, this affliction was forcing me to my knees. I'm not sure who started this idea in the church years ago, I'd like to talk to them, whoever they are, that when you become a Christian, your problems are all over. Anybody ever heard that? 
Did we actually say that in church before? That when you become a Christian, your problems, that you would never have to face affliction. You would never have to face a trial. Whoever said that was wrong. And you know, I, you know it, it so happened. I was thinking about that, and I flipped on a thing on the radio, and I heard a good old gospel song. It said, every day's getting brighter, every burden's getting lighter. I thought, there you go. But can I tell you, that's not been my story. It's not been my story. Come to Jesus, problem-free? No. Uh-uh. Pastor Des used to tell us the initial evidence of the baptism of the Holy Spirit was trouble. I think it's that T word. Pentecostal will argue if it's tongues or not, you know. He said, yeah, it's a T word. The, the, initial, the evidence of the initial filling of the Holy Spirit, it's trouble. And how many know he's right about it? Well, that's a misunderstanding. And there's another misunderstanding that I want to clarify, that your trials, your afflictions, some people have tried to say they're a result of personal sin, and that's just not true. Now, let me say this. Jesus clears that up for us in John chapter 9 with the blind man who innocently suffered blindness. Go, go check it out. See if I'm telling you the truth. It is not, hear me, it is not unspiritual if you are going through a painful or an embarrassing situation. That does not disqualify you from the church of the living God if you're going through a problem. We may try to hide it. We may try to cover it up. We may try to mask it in whatever way we can. How are you? God bless you. Hallelujah. I'm wonderful. It is not unspiritual if you are going through a difficulty. Now, hear me. There is disobedience that can cause pain. I'm not negating that. But simply because you and I live in a fallen world, we are going to go through junk. We are going to go through painful situations. We are going to face affliction. And although you and I may misunderstand or misinterpret the intent, it still remains that good stuff can come as a result of the shaking that God does in your life. I knew I'd get a rousing response from that. You may not want to realize it or admit it, but it's true for me and it's true for you. Every once in a while, we need a good shaking. And have you noticed it happens about the time you were just starting to settle in and get comfortable? Have you noticed in your walk with Jesus, about the time you think, okay, we're, yeah, I got this. We're doing good. Here comes a big old shaking that's going to take place. How many of you have ever had the doctor prescribe for you a liquid medication that when you picked it up from the pharmacist, you noticed the instruction said, shake well before using? Yeah? Well, I think God does the same thing by basically saying, before I can use you, before you can be effective for the sake of my kingdom, I must shake you well. So if you're being shaken this morning, and some of you are, do not despair. That's just an indication. It's shake well before using. He's getting ready to use you and pour you out somewhere on something or somebody or some situation to accomplish the good thing that he needs to have done for the glory of the name of Jesus. Now listen to me, church. If you go through, if you go through painful situations, it's not an option. It's not an if. It's how you go through them that is optional. Pain is inevitable. Misery is optional. Pain is inevitable. Misery is optional. So when you become aware that he is shaking your world, what is 
that shaking turning you into is the most important thing. You may be going through, I'm going to take just a few seconds here to say this, particularly to young people, young adults. Something called broken, spiritual brokenness. So many young people raised in the church might come to faith, come to a saving knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ at a young age in children's ministry. We pray that happens all the time. We see wonderful things happen. But it is not unusual to find out that somewhere a young person goes through high school, they graduate, maybe they're going off to college. Somewhere in those early 20s, it can happen anytime. Happened for me when between 19 and 20 years of age, that there comes this point that everything you are, everything you thought you were, every hope that you had, everything you thought uh, was part of your being, literally gets smashed to pieces. I had that happen to me. I've been there, done that, and I got the t-shirt. It was an absolute crushing moment for me. I understand I was raised in the church. I was a musician. My dad was the pastor. There was a place for my music gift all through my life. I started directing choirs when I was 12 years old. I had all, there was a place for me in the church. I knew what my calling and purpose and function was going to be from the very, very beginning, an early, early age. There weren't really a lot of options. And so I thought I had that plan all in place and all in motion. And suddenly the shaking of the Holy Ghost got a hold of me. And there was an absolute crushing of everything I thought I was, everything I thought I was supposed to be, everything that I thought I was going to do, absolutely crushing. And I want to let you know something today. It is the best thing that ever happened to me. There's a book by Watchman Nee on spiritual brokenness that helped walk me through that experience. And I think that often happens when a young person who's been raised in the church, they need to discover the faith is not, their faith is not the faith of their parents or their grandparents, it's their faith. I'm not saying that's uh, necessarily a subsequent work of grace. I'm saying it's not an unusual thing. And the reason I bring it up, I've had two or three testimonies recently of young people saying, that's exactly, Pastor, what is going, what is going on? I'm just nothing. Yes, hallelujah. It's a great day. When you realize your nothingness, when you realize that all you, you're just an empty vessel for him to shake and use as he will. Blessed be the name of the Lord. A daughter was complaining to her father about how hard things were for her. She told him, you know, Dad, as I saw one problem, it just seemed like another one comes along right behind it. And I'm just tired of the struggle. And her dad, who was a chef, took her to the kitchen where he filled three pots full of water. And he put them all on the stove, and he turned the stove all the way up on high. Soon the pots all came to a boil, all three of them. In the first one, he placed carrots. In the second one, he put eggs. And in the third one, the last one, he put coffee. And he let them sit there and boil without saying a word. The daughter impatiently waited, going, what in the world is my dad doing? Has he gone crazy? And after a while, he went over and he turned off the burners. He fished out the carrots and he put them in a bowl. He took the eggs and got them out of the water and he put them in another bowl. And he poured the coffee into a cup. And he said, baby girl, what do you see and which one are you? Are you carrots? Are you eggs? Or are you coffee? 
He brought her closer and he said, come here, babe. He said, feel these carrots. She did, and she noted that they were now soft. And then he asked her to take the egg and to break it. She did. And after pulling off the shell, she observed that they were hard-boiled eggs. And he asked her to sip the coffee. And she smiled as she tasted the rich flavor of the coffee. And she said, Dad, what are you doing? And he simply explained, explained, listen to me, sweetheart. No matter what adversity you go through, notice that each one of things, each one of these things reacted differently. They were put in the same situation, and each one reacted differently. The carrots went in strong, but they came out soft and weak. The eggs went in fragile, but they came out hard. But it was the coffee which was unique. Because when it was in the boiling water, the water didn't change the coffee. The coffee changed the water. So when adversity knocks at your door, Bethesda, which one are you? Are you carrots? Are you eggs? Or are you coffee? Do you go into it strong but come out soft and weak and saying, I'm ready to give up. I just can't do it. Or do you go in that same situation and you come out like the egg, hardened to the point that you might say, there is no God. Why would he even care about me? All this stuff I've heard all my life, it's not even true. I'm going to become hardened. Or did you come out like the one who says, no matter what you put me in, no matter what happens, I am going to be God's latte, caramel, macchiato for Him, for the glory of the name of Jesus. Come on, put your hands together and bless the Lord. Because, dear one, no matter what, what God puts you through, He can take you through those things. Let me just ask you, why do you think when you begin to go through a challenge that the enemy wants you to stay away from church, stay away from prayer, stay away from his word? Why do you think that happens? We all have a propensity when things get tough to want to cocoon. I just can't. I just No, when you're hurting, church is where you need to be. When things are difficult and you have that urge to cocoon, you need to counteract it and say, no. By faith, I know what my instinct says, but I know what my spiritual instinct says. I need to be with the people of God. I need to be at a prayer service. I need to be in the Word of God. Here's why the enemy does that. Here's why that instinct arises within you. Because he knows that if you get a word from God through your pain, then you'll get to become coffee in the midst of a boiling situation. That's what he knows. If he can keep you from church, hearing the Word, if he can keep you from prayer, hearing from God and keep you from the Word of God when He wants to talk to you, then He knows He has you right where He wants you, and that's teetering between carrots and eggs, carrots and eggs, carrots and eggs. It's exactly where He wants you. But if you step into a Word from God right in the midst of your affliction, He says, then you become a viable force for Him to do something with. And I just say this, and I'd love to hear somebody agree with me today. Lord, give me a word. Anybody agree with me today? Lord, give me a word. I'm going to wind up here sometime this morning, I promise. The only way, David said this. He says, the only way I survived, the other word we're going to look at, was to delight in the Word of God. 
delight. Say that word again. Now, delight's an interesting word. Affliction is that which forces you into a mode of submission. I thought delight was this soft, pretty, maybe even feminine word meaning, oh, awesome, joyful, great, delightful, you know. And I've learned that that's not what David is saying here. I've learned there's a root to this Hebrew word delight when he says this in our text that we read. I've learned that it's a strange word, at least it's not one that I would have assumed based upon how you and I use the word delight. Because when you dig into the word, you learn that it actually, that word delight, it actually means a gate. A gate, yeah. It means the gates of the city. It means it's the protection to keep invaders out and to keep in what's supposed to stay in. Delight. Say that word again with me. So when David, what David is saying is, God, when I'm going through the toughest moments of my life, I need your word to become the screening process for me. I need your word to become the gate that goes into me. I need your word to be the TSA agent at the airport, okay? Before any thought comes in, it has to be scanned through your word to be sure that that thought or that feeling is allowed to stay in me. It's not going to be given permission to take up residence within me if it has not been scanned through the gate of delight. Before any thought comes in, that's what has to happen. What he was saying was this, your word has become the gate the gatekeeper, if you will, of my life. To delight is to make everything that wants to destroy you go through the security measures of the Word of God. Because if you don't have the Word of God with you while you're going through that painful situation, that affliction, then every thought starts to come in. Have you noticed that? I don't know about you. I can have some pretty crazy thoughts. Really crazy thoughts. And at that point, you start to give credence, you start to give value, you start to give significance to every thought that begins to come to your mind. Maybe God doesn't love me. Maybe there is no God. You know, my parents were divorced. My grandparents were divorced. Therefore, I must be destined to divorce as well. Every thought starts coming in if it's not come through the gate of delight. And none of those thoughts have been put through the TSA of the Word of God. They have not been scanned to see if they are appropriate to stay in you. Maybe I'm under a curse. Maybe my my grandmother was an alcoholic. My great-grandmother was an alcoholic. So it must be I'm just destined to be an alcoholic. And if the Word of God is not there, then you start believing everything. But the Word of God, church, will test those crazy, renegade, independent thoughts that want to take you down. Thoughts like, am I cursed? Am I under this? Am I under that? Is it a family thing that can't possibly break? Let me just tell you something. When you became a Christian, Jesus became your curse. 
What does that mean? Paul tells us this in Galatians 3. Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law. Hallelujah. Having become cursed for us, for it is written, cursed is everyone who hangs upon a tree. Jesus became your sacrifice. Jesus became your deliverer. Well, maybe I'm just born this way. Well, guess what? Maybe you were born that way. But sweetheart, you've been born again. By the power of the word of the living God. Since you've been born again, Jesus is removing the junk from the first birth, which is why he tells you that you need a second birth in your life. That's why he tells us to run everything, everything through the delight gate. I delight in your law. The gate of the word of God. Many of us here will remember the tennis star Arthur Ashe when he was diagnosed with AIDS from a blood transfusion during a heart surgery. This man inspired and encouraged so many people by his exemplary behavior on and off the tennis court. Listen to his testimony. Arthur Ashe could have become embittered and self-pitying in the face of the disease, but he maintained a gracious attitude, which he explained like this. He said, if I ask why me? And he admitted that that was the thought that was trying to come through the gate. If I ask why me, why did this happen to me? Why me about AIDS? Why me about this trouble? I didn't do anything to bring this on. He said the thing I started to realize was not why me has this happened. But I started to think about the blessings of God. I started to say, why me? God, why are you blessing me so much? Why have you done all these things, these great things in my life? And who am I to have one bad thing happen to me and think that gives me some right to become angry with you, God? And Arthur Ashe said, the thing I allowed to come through the gate of my soul was the gate of my thought life was not the why me do bad things happen, but rather why me has God blessed me so much in my life? And he went on to say, it was that kind of thinking that turned my grumbling into praise. So instead of accusing God and saying, why did you allow this to happen to me? He said, I took the humble approach and said, God, why have you blessed me with so much, with winning Wimbledon, and you blessed me financially, and you blessed me with a voice to the community. You've done all these things, and I started to realize the thing that was going to go through that gate was going to be a word that was going to take me through this thing. Church, I don't know about you, but I want a word from God this morning. Listen to these words of Isaiah. Behold, I have refined thee, but not with silver. I have chosen thee. I have chosen thee. Say chosen. I have chosen thee in the furnace of affliction. Through Isaiah, God is saying this. Dear one, when I do my choosing... I'm choosing her as I'm refining her for what she's going through. God's saying, when I do my choosing, I want to choose him as I'm refining him by what he's going through. No matter what you're going through, God is telling you this morning, he's going to be using you, placing his hand upon you, and choosing you out of that process of refining. How many of you have ever heard these words? Arthur, if you want to come to the keyboard, how many of you have ever heard these words? This is the way, walk ye in it. You ever heard those words, anybody? God says that in 
Also in Isaiah, the 30th chapter, he says, And though the Lord gives you the bread of adversity and the water of affliction, yet your teachers will not be moved into a corner anymore, but your eyes shall see your teachers. Your ears shall hear a word behind you saying, This is the way. Walk in it. Whenever you turn to the right hand or whenever you turn to the left. He uses the phrase bread of adversity, which means, what does that mean? It means a narrow spot. You can't turn around. You feel like everything's closing in on you. And the water of affliction means the squeezing, the crushing. And Isaiah says, you may be in this difficult moment where you feel like you're being squeezed and you're being pressured. And God says this. Listen to me. Listen, listen. Right in the midst of that, the bread of adversity, the water of affliction, he says, listen, because you have a teacher standing right behind you who will whisper a word in your ear that says, this is the way. Walk ye in it. The Lord God Almighty, the sovereign of the universe, the one who spoke in worlds came into existence. He is that teacher. And he's standing right behind you, whispering in your ear. And he's ready to speak to you this morning, turning your mess into a message, your test into a testimony, and your trial into triumph for the glory of the name of Jesus. Bow your heads with me for just a moment. How many of you are saying with me this morning, Lord, if I raised hand, Lord, I need a word from you. Just raise your hand if that's you. You know, I'm just going to ask if you raise your hand, would you just stand right where you are? We're not going to come forward. Just stand right where you are. I just want to pray. Anyone who's saying, Lord, I need a word from you, would just stand where you are? So we're going to pray together. Oh, Lord, our Lord, how excellent is your name in all the earth. First, we declare that we belong to you. We are yours to command where you lead us. You are the Lord of our lives. Lord, I am lifting up all of those who are standing this morning who have identified they need a word from you. All those who are in the chokehold of affliction this morning. I'm asking, oh God, would you speak a word to their hearts? Would you be the voice, as Isaiah tells us, standing behind them saying, this is the way, walk ye in it. God, our delight today is in you. You are the gatekeeper of our souls. Let nothing come in and take residence. Nothing, nothing, large or small, come in and take residence within us that does not pass the scrutiny of your word. Let no thought, God, stop the process of what you're wanting to accomplish in and through us. And Lord, when you speak, we will obey. When you speak, our response is simply going to be this. So be it. Amen, Lord Jesus. And the church said, Amen.